This is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Focus podcast. I'm your host G Sampath. Last Saturday the United States shot down what it described as a Chinese spy balloon off the coast of South Carolina raising tensions between the two countries. US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken who was scheduled to leave for China on Sunday postponed his visit. The presence of this surveillance balloon in US airspace is a clear violation of US sovereignty and international law and said that the balloon had undermined the purpose of his trip. China on its part insists that the balloon was just a civilian airship doing meteorological research and that it had strayed into American airspace completely accidentally. It described the US's military action within quotes an obvious overreaction and a serious violation of international practice. It also warned of necessary responses. So what kind of response can we expect from China? Will we see the effects of this incident once again in the South China Sea? And was it really a spy balloon or was it just a weather balloon? We discuss all these questions and more in this episode of In Focus and we have with us today Anand Krishnan the Hindu's China correspondent. Anand, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Sambhat. So, Anand, uh, from what one can make out from media reports, uh, the balloon has been sort of hovering in American airspace for quite some time, I think at least from Thursday, uh, if not before. So, why shoot it down after letting it drift for so long? I mean, were there no back channels of communication uh, between the two countries so that a less dramatic or a less violent or a more peaceful resolution could have been found if it was indeed an accident. Right, Sampad. So from what we know from the U.S. side, uh, the balloon first entered Alaska as long back as January 28th. And of course, as we know now, it was finally shot down uh, on February 4th. So you're looking at uh, more than a week of the balloon drifting over American airspace. Uh, from what the U.S. government has said, uh, they presented uh, President Biden with two options of either shooting it down while it was over land, uh, and this was presented to him on February 1st. Um, why it wasn't earlier, they haven't quite said. Or wait for it uh, to drift into the Atlantic while it was still in U.S. airspace. You must remember, Sampad, that this is a very large balloon. Uh, from what the U.S. side has said, it's as big as several buses and it carries uh, quite a heavy payload of monitoring equipment. Um, so I think the Biden administration was worried that after all the bad press they've received, and I think this is key to unpacking the episode, is the domestic political situation in the U.S. and the pressure that Biden was facing. I think uh, because of that, I think if it was to fall over populated areas. I think they were concerned of the damage. Uh, and ultimately, it's a very valid question you posed. Why shoot it now that it has already done its surveillance over land? I yeah, think that, exactly. Uh, yeah. I think politically, the answer to me lies in politics that I think Biden was already under huge pressure, would have been crucified if he allowed the balloon to drift back into Chinese possession. So I think that he had no option but to cancel Blinken's visit as well as shoot it down only because of the criticism he was receiving at home. So I think it's clearly a political decision. Uh, there is, of course, also some part the intelligence value. The U.S. officials have said, as they are currently recovering the debris, 
that there's a lot for them to glean over what is, we must say, a fairly new Chinese approach to intelligence gathering, this fleet of balloons that have been spotted in Japan over India starting around 2020. So it's a fairly new thing the Chinese side are doing. As for the Chinese claims, Sampad, they are, as you said in your question, they've been maintaining that it's a civilian airship belonging to a company and it was pretty much engaged in meteorological research. But they have also been very sparse in details. For instance, they haven't told us what is this company. The company that it supposedly belongs to hasn't made a single statement. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, questions from the, about the Chinese version of events as well, uh, as well as the fact that the trajectory of the balloon, we can talk about that more later, does suggest it was perhaps more about surveillance rather than studying the climate. Okay, uh, yeah, speaking of the trajectory of the balloon and, and how that could sort of reveal its actual nature, the Americans have said that uh, it's a high-altitude surveillance balloon. And then, of course, once they study the debris, they will have the proof, but then I mean, you'll have to shoot it down to get to the debris. So are high-altitude balloons generally, I mean, are they generally only meant for surveillance? Can't they be for, you know, monitoring the weather or something? And secondly, I mean, in the age of satellites and drones and so on, like, what is it that this balloon is going to get you that you can't get from, you know, other more modern technology? And, and thirdly, how can the U.S. decide that it's a military balloon before shooting it down? Coming to your last question first, uh, what U.S. officials have said, since obviously they have the information and we can only go by what they're saying, is that uh, it seems to me that it's the trajectory of the balloon that really raised their suspicions, uh, contrary to Chinese claims that it was aimlessly drifting off course because of an adverse weather event. But the fact that it came in from Alaska, went into Canada, crossed over into Montana, was hovering over, according to the U.S., hovering over very sensitive nuclear sites, not just in Montana, but throughout its drifting trajectory over the continental U.S. I think they are very clear that its course was was been pre-planned, programmed to fly over certain areas of interest for the Chinese. And I think that is a clear indication as far as the U.S. is concerned, that this is uh, something with a clear intent. Um, as for the Chinese side, how are they going to prove it? As you said, we've been trying to ascertain here in Beijing, what is this company they keep referring to? They say that uh, they will, the Chinese government will press the company's legal claims because of the damage it has incurred for having their balloon being shot down. But, but another embarrassing thing uh, for the Chinese, Sampath, is that uh, the U.S. side revealed there was a second balloon uh, simultaneously drifting over Central and Latin America. Uh, and the Chinese government on February 6th uh, had to publicly acknowledge that that was also one of their balloons that drifted off course. And that kind of does uh, seem rather hard to imagine. How is it that simultaneously they've lost two balloons in the matter of a week, uh, as they claim? Uh, I think for China, it does raise questions as to, obviously, even their partners in Latin America, where they have very close relationships with several countries in Latin America, they'll be wondering why is it that the Chinese are sending these balloons into their airspace. Uh, as for the intelligence, I've seen uh, what experts have said uh, is that you're right that uh, in this current age of having high-tech, uh, even low-altitude satellites, uh, you do uh, get a lot of information. But obviously, uh, the Chinese seem to see value in this. Obviously, they wouldn't be deploying this fleet of balloons all over the world if they didn't see strategic value in doing so. Uh, that's something, obviously, for experts to pass. 
Uh, but I think that um, it is quite interesting. The last two years, the Chinese have come up with this fleet of balloons to supplement whatever intelligence gathering they're doing from satellites. Right. Now, you spoke a little bit about how the trajectory of the balloon, you know, sort of is indicative of its nature, that fact that it was hovering over certain sensitive nuclear sites and military installations uh, indicate that it's not just accidentally hovering here and there. But then if this is true, how, how do you control the movement of the balloon? It's a balloon, right? It's subject to wind, air currents and whatever the you know, atmospheric conditions are. So you can't predict those in advance. So how do you actually control it? It's just a balloon. It can go wherever the wind blows it. So, so, so what is like? Is there is there some kind of technology which is so advanced that it can actually program? You use the word pre-programmed. How do you program it? It's just a balloon. Again, sometimes we should qualify that whatever we are saying is what we are gleaning from briefings from U.S. officials and the like. It's not that any of us have first-hand access to this technology or to these fleet of balloons that the Chinese are deploying. Uh, and one would imagine that um, we should also add to our listeners here that uh, early last year, one of these balloons was sighted over the Andamans and not elsewhere over India. Again, that's a very interesting fact that it was sighted above the Andamans of all places where India obviously has extensive naval facilities that are of particular interest to China. Uh, the Japanese media have also reported of several balloon sightings in 2020 and 2021. Um, and ultimately, uh, as you said previously, it's only when the U.S. side, which seems to be the first country to have actually gotten possession of one of these balloons, uh, once they go through the debris, probably will glean a lot more about how they are functioning, what they are used for, how it is they're deployed, how it is they're controlled. I think these are things we'll have to wait and learn uh, once the U.S. Uh, has begun studying the debris. And I think as of as of February 7th, uh, they've apparently begun already recovering some of the fragments uh, of of the payload of the balloon, uh, and they started analyzing that. So that's something we'll have to wait and see what comes out of it. Right. Now, moving on to uh, the, the scene inside uh, China. So how is this entire incident being received internally, not in both in official political circles, but also on social media? Because, you know, at the end of the day, even if, whether it's a weather balloon or... Uh, even more so if it's actually a military uh, uh, sort of an entity. It is a Chinese asset at the end of the day. So a Chinese asset has been shot down by another sovereign nation. So how is it being received uh, in China? I think there's been a, I've seen like a range of reactions. I think, first of all, I think people in China are rightly amused by kind of this sense of panic and alarm that U.S. media has whipped itself into over the balloon. It's obviously been a story that people have been talking for ad nauseum in the U.S. Uh, for seven days. And I think people are somewhat bemused uh, by the level of panic um, and some of the theories that some U.S. experts have put out about balloons carrying nuclear weapons and the like. It's caused some amount of amusement in China. Uh, I think people have noticed that balloons have previously passed over the U.S., which the Biden administration has itself acknowledged. Uh, at least once when Biden was president and three times when Trump was president uh, without the kind of alarm that has been whipped up. And I think the reason why, obviously, this incident is different is that this and this is the second reaction is seen in China, the sense of embarrassment. Since Let's be honest, Sampar, this is an own goal by China. Uh, if you are conducting surveillance, if you're letting your balloon uh, here, it seems they have 
there's some truth to the Chinese statement that they perhaps lost control over it. The fact that it descended low enough to be seen by the public in Montana. I think that's where this whole crisis began. Uh, it's very conceivable that uh, the Biden administration, as in past instances, may have been content to have observed the balloon, tracked it and let it drift as it did in past instances, but its hand was forced by this becoming this huge public uproar and public issue. So from the Chinese public point of view, there is a bit of embarrassment as well uh, that Beijing had to kind of admit publicly that it lost this asset, lost control over this asset. Uh, and the fact that China publicly admitted it, I think uh, left uh, kind of left little space for people to be angered or outraged by the U.S. taking down an asset when people are aware that it was very deep into U.S. airspace. And I think if you if you look at it this way, Sampath, if you if there was a American balloon hovering over Beijing and people were able to see it, uh, you can imagine the kind of reaction it would cause in China as well. Right. I mean, that's a very interesting uh, sort of comparison or a contrast uh, which sort of puts it in perspective. But I was quite interested to know that uh, China may have actually had these balloons pass over American airspace in the past and there has been no reaction simply because the public did not notice it. I mean, is that how it was? Uh, well, uh, this is what a senior U.S. defense official said in a background briefing that they did uh, on February 5th, where they said that the U.S. Administ Biden administration had previously tracked one balloon and the Trump administration had observed three balloons. Obviously, they stopped short of saying uh, that they shot it down because uh, there were political reasons for Biden to do so. But I thought it was a revealing admission that they have said these balloons have passed over the U.S. previously. And they added uh, these balloons have also been uh, have been tracked over South Asia, East Asia and Europe. So this is something that obviously the Chinese have been doing in an aggressive way the last two, three years. It's something new. Uh, and I would argue, suggest, I would argue, Sampat, that um, there is a suggestion that the Chinese should perhaps rethink this uh, new kind of intelligence gathering that they're doing uh, now that it's become a little bit of a public embarrassment for Beijing. Uh, now, if, say, Japan or India was to encounter one of these balloons again at a low altitude, you would think that the way uh, India or Japan might deal with it would perhaps be influenced by how the U.S. dealt with it. And shooting it down has now become fair game, it seems to be. Um, so I think that all round... Uh, the, the irony, Sampath, is, as you mentioned at the start of our conversation, this was something that, let's be clear, neither the U.S. nor China wanted this incident. Both of them had invested a lot of effort and time since the meeting between President Biden and Xi in November in Bali to get this visit by Anthony Blinken to Beijing, which was supposed to begin on February 6th. Uh, the Chinese are now kind of publicly denying the visit was going to happen, but we were quite aware behind the scenes that everything was set. Even a meeting for Blinken with Xi Jinping was arranged, which was a huge sign for the relationship. Uh, and I think that this was just like the balloon somewhere. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a diplomatic crisis that came right out of the blue at the worst possible time uh, for both countries that were looking to dial down uh, tensions. But the way it kind of snowballed should worry all of us, Sampath, because here it was an unmanned balloon that was shot down. If you were to have a repeat of what happened in 2001 when you had a U.S. spy plane over Hainan, the U.S., of course, spying on China at that instance, when it collided with the PLA jet uh, and both sides were able to prevent that from snowballing, I, I remain concerned that if that was to repeat now, Sampath, you don't have the channels of communication 
or is in the wiggle room for governments because of how heated uh, public discourse in the U.S. has become about China. You don't have the wiggle room to deal with such crises at the current moment, and that's a very concerning thing. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, the kinds of accidents one are looking, one could be looking at. I think this is uh, you know quite chilling to contemplate. You know, these these balloons sort of randomly popping up in in the airspace of different countries and different regions. I think uh, it is it is something a matter of concern, definitely. Also, you refer to Anthony Blinken's visit and how important it was. But now that this has happened, and now that you know, clearly it is, as you outlined so well, and a matter of some embarrassment for the Chinese, will will there still be nonetheless pressure on uh, President Xi to make a show of strength, or do some sort of symbolic retaliation for what what was effectively, you know? A military action against a military asset of China. I mean, will there be, will there be something expected from him? I'm not quite sure, sure, Sampath. From what I've seen coming out from the Chinese side, it seems to be more that uh, rather than them respond and keep this controversy going, they seem to just want this to get over as quickly as possible and move on uh, beyond what has been a very embarrassing week for Beijing. Uh, no doubt about that. So it seems to me that uh, from even what they've said, even though they uh, lodged representations with the U.S. and put out a couple of angry statements, uh, the fact that they publicly expressed regret, which is very unusual, uh, at least in recent Chinese diplomacy, where it's been this very wolf warrior approach where China does no wrong. The fact that they expressed regret and they publicly admitted that these balloons had gone off course, to me, it suggested that they want to get this done with as soon as possible. Uh, I think it's also clear in the recent appointment that you had in Beijing of the new foreign minister who's just taken over, uh, and he was a former Chinese ambassador to the U.S. and a very close uh, diplomat who's, who's been very close to Xi Jinping, working previously as his protocol officer, and he's just begun his new term. And the emphasis that we've seen in this new term is a kind of a course correction in Chinese foreign policy uh, to mend relations with the U.S., uh, to do more in Southeast Asia, in China's neighborhood, and to kind of tone down, even though it's tactical, and they aren't going to obviously concede on many of their big issues. But there has been a shift in tone in Chinese diplomacy uh, following the start of Xi Jinping's third term in October, uh, when the party congress was held in Beijing. So this is something that they really did not want to see when in the last couple of months, the whole focus has been on moving past zero COVID, on China opening up, on China playing nice with its neighborhood, on China mending relations with the U.S. This has kind of been a bolt from the blue that has derailed a little bit of that emphasis you've seen in the last two, three months from Beijing. Right. Uh, one final question uh, before we wrap up. So you've, you've sort of explained how uh, there is a sort of a strong uh, uh, desire to sort of mend relations with the U.S. So does this mean uh, that the wolf warrior kind of phase in its diplomatic sort of evolution is sort of getting coming to an end? I mean, is there like a, a, a far greater consensus, let us say, uh, within China on the need to sort of put the relationship with the U.S. on a different level of stability? Is that is that the top uh, agenda for them right now? I would not say it's coming to an end, uh, Sampada. I would say that's overstating a bit, but I will say that it's more just a tactical shift and how they seem to be wanting to conduct that diplomacy. And that partly reflects the huge domestic pressure that Xi Jinping has come under, uh, primarily because of the bad state of the Chinese economy and the huge toll of three months of zero COVID, which they finally abandoned on December 7th. 
So I think it's it's more more born out of a tactical need uh, to ease pressure domestically on Xi Jinping rather than China having a significant change of course. I still think that they will be aggressive, as we've seen in the last decade under Xi Jinping, uh, on what they see as core interests. I think they will be very, they'll continue to be aggressive on Taiwan and respond strongly to any uh, sort of challenges they see from the U.S., as you saw with Nancy Pelosi's visit in August. Uh, and they've kept up military pressure on Taiwan in a huge way in the months since. I think you still will see pressure on the line of actual control with India, where there seems to be no change in, in China wanting to continue building up its military presence on the LAC. Uh, there seems to be no change. Uh, even in early February, Sampad, there's been a lot of propaganda within China on PLA exercises being conducted in high altitude areas on the border. So on these core interests, uh, was what China sees as core interests, and I put South China Sea as well as part of it, you're, you're certainly going to see more muscle flexing and that continued approach. So I wouldn't overstate a big change in China's diplomacy, but what you have seen is a slight shift in tone in their messaging where they're trying to present China as being reopening to the world um, and uh, as a responsible country that's that's mending relations, starting with the U.S., so it seems to be more, I, w- I would phrase it as a, as a tactical rethink rather than a big strategic shift. Right. A tactical rethink uh, partly driven by domestic uh, pressures uh, following this entire uh, zero COVID policy. On the Chinese side and on the American side, of course, Biden needed to show uh, some kind of action uh, when, when uh, given the fact that the public have noticed this balloon floating around American airspace. I think uh, we have a fairly clear picture of how uh, this has played out and the why it has played out, the way it has. Thank you so much, Anand, for joining us and for explaining uh, the whole episode so thoroughly. Thank you so much. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.